So today we are in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. And um, I've already eaten up an extraordinarily large amount of my time with an equipping pathway. It was so well done. Um, our passage today... Thank you. Oh, one second here. I shall conquer. I'm not conquering yet. I'm conquering now. Okay, here we go. Thank you very much, guys. Hey, so let me just pray and we'll get started. Father, um, uh, I... We come to you just on this sweet morning. It's just good to be with the whole family. It's good to be able to come and just sing of your goodness and your praises. It's good to be able to talk about equipping and what you've called us to. And it's good to reflect on Thanksgiving. It's sweet to hear from our kids. We ask that you bless them downstairs today as they learn. Um, give our teachers um, right hearts and a helpful of your spirit. They're not just burning time down there, Father. They're instructing souls. And so we pray you would help them down there. And for us here, I pray that you would bless us, um, give me clarity as I would teach, give us all um, attentive hearts and minds, Lord, as we go look at your word, and may you instruct us from your word, and that we would no longer abide in the darkness of our hearts, in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so we are in Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, sorry, 12, 13, 14, um, as we've gone in the past weeks, we've moved from Paul being praying for this church in Colossae. Um, it's a letter written to them, it's really his prayer for them. He's, it's in a church that he actually physically hasn't been to, and he's heard good reports about them. And the number one good report is that these people have a genuine faith in Jesus and a genuine love for all the saints. That is Paul's biggest um, meter that he looks at for a church is genuine faith and genuine love for all the saints, for all, all the people that his heart is really wrapped into. So he hears that about them. He's excited about that. He's praising God for that. Then he moves on to these prayers that he has for them. He says, we're praying for him in verse 9. We're praying for you day and night, um, asking that you'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's praying. He's saying, this is the thing now. I've heard you're doing well. I'm praying that God's going to double down in his work on you and he's going to bring you to a thriving maturity. And he's going to do that. He, there's this, this impasse. You can't grow with the Lord without knowing about the Lord, both his heart and his plan and his character. So he's praying that they will understand God's will, that their heart would really embrace it, who God is, what he's doing, what he loves and hates. They would get him and their hearts would embrace him. And through that would come um, lives then that would be walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. So these people were already secured with Jesus. They they know Jesus. So he's praying for a deeper understanding of those that know Jesus. That flushes out in four ings we got from last last week, whereas they are embracing the will of God, understanding and embracing it, they are bearing fruit. They are increasing in the knowledge of God. Number four, number three, they're being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy, so that God would pour out a fruit-building a fruit work in their life. God would pull them back into the text to grow further in the knowledge of God. Then that God would, in their weakness, give them supernatural power so that he would display his presence and authority and power in them in where they were weak, that they would therefore have hearts that were endurant and have patience with joy. And then finally, the fourth being that they would be giving thanks to the Father 
because he's the one who qualified them to share in the inheritance in the saints in light. So the last one was thanksgiving, conveniently so, for our week here. That we would be hearts, that the work of God, by the Spirit of God, would be working in us, and that it would move us to thanksgiving, particularly in this context, not so much to the things that had been physically given to them, but in here, be giving thanksgiving for the inheritance that the Father has given to them in the saints in life. So really the forward things, the things that we haven't really even touched yet, things we haven't seen yet, that those things would capture their hearts and their minds, this inheritance that's being given to them by the Father, and that their hearts would be moved to thankfulness, that they would process it, that they would embrace it, they would love it, and then they would talk with the Lord about it. It would shape, it would shape their perspective. They're people who are thankful confident in what's coming but the final words of verse 12 are the saints in light the saints in light and it continues on a theme in verse 13 and 14 he has that's so the father has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son literally the son of his love in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins so today's passage has some really beautiful simplicity in it. Um, I think it's really helpful because it's simple. So if you've never heard the gospel before, I think the gospel becomes rather clear in this passage. But it's also really helpful because I think it helps deepen us in some of our commonly misunderstood weak points as we think about the gospel. Our text today, uh, being in Colossians 1, 13 uh, to 14, our, our title being The Extremes of Salvation. Um, here we often talk about the gospel, right? I talk about the gospel a lot. I have this way of explaining the gospel. Um, particularly today in the passage today, uh, when we go through that gospel, we talk about who God is, right? He made everything, and what, what is his center? His glory is his center because there's nothing better than him. He made everything so we can enjoy him, enjoy that center, so he's never going to off-center his glory. He makes everything, speaks to us in his word, then he makes us, right? We're designed to be centered on God, designed to have a relationship with Him. We would know Him and love Him. But in the fall, we all ran away from that. Every last one of us. Every last one of us is broken, dead. In our text today, we're darkness. But then God enters and offers us an offer to us, a proposition that we would then be under His kingship. We would belong to Him. We would be transferred into His kingdom. That's what the, that's what the proposed offer is. And if you want that, then we've got to talk about payment because somehow that's got to be pulled off, which is the work of Jesus when Jesus, who's always been God, comes and becomes a man and lives and dies and rises again and does the only thing that ever could be done to give us that offer, to pull us out of the fall, give us the offer, and the last piece being the response, what do you do with that information? Right? What do you do with that information? Because that isn't automatically applied to the whole world. So we respond to his offer to bring us to God through the work of Jesus, we respond to that by faithfully saying, yes, I believe it, I want it. We are saved by grace through faith. And when that happens, the Spirit of God is put in us. We go get baptized to demonstrate that this has happened to us. There's a newness in our life. We are, complete, we are all in with Jesus. And he then leaves us here to love the Lord, to love his family, and love his world. And that is the core things of how we follow the Lord. We keep loving him and loving his family and loving his world. We love him as worshipers. We love him as a family, as a local church, and the worldwide church. And we love the world as missionaries. Not like we used to love the world because we used to be darkness and we used to really love the world too much, but a new type of love, a new type of love, a love full of compassion. Today's passage particularly, I think, illuminates the area of the fall, the offer, and the payment. So 
the third, the fourth, and the fifth as we go along. I think it really kind of will, if you'll, help, if, if, you'll, if you'll pay attention to it, I think it'll help put meat on the bones of those things and substance to what he's telling us to be true and how we can explain these things to other people. So um, with that said, I think that one of the things that really hurts us is that we often don't understand darkness. Our first piece today, we were of the domain of darkness. So, so now notice, this is Paul, Spirit of God, writing through Paul to these people and say, you were in the domain of darkness. It's a past tense thing because these people actually know Jesus. But here's one of the hard things you have to grap- grasp with and grapple with in, in gospel thinking. God's always bringing us back to the big picture. He's always bringing us back to where we were when he found us. He's always bringing us back to what he will be doing to us. There's always a a call back to these basics. But it can be odd for us once we think, okay, now I'm loved and forgiven. It can be odd for us to learn the art of rightfully looking back to where we came from and rightfully embracing that and rightfully talking about it and rightfully explaining that to people. The topic of darkness um, is a very helpful one for us because a lot of times uh, we, we find ourselves, here's what happened. You come to know Jesus, Jesus does his work on you, and he starts, he saves you, and then he starts changing you, right? starts, you know, chasing sin out of your life, starts changing you to look more and more like him. Well, then all of a sudden you start to really like that because it's really good, and then if you haven't been careful in your thought, you all of a sudden find yourself estranged from the fact that you haven't been that way. And you like this new newness that you're experiencing, and you don't really have a spot to talk about the oldness from which you once have been saved. But gospel thinking brings that back out. It's always brings us back to look where you were when God got you. Look where you were when God saved you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful truth. And the topic here of darkness is a strong one in Scripture. It's mentioned repeatedly both Old Testament and New Testament, and yet one that we often don't understand in ourselves, and then also we don't understand it outside of ourselves. So because we don't understand some of the darkness of it, we sometimes think, um, well, it's, uh, I was actually talking to somebody here who was in a, in a Christian confine. Uh, they were being, it was a group being asked about, like, do we think that people, it's a, it's a poll, do we think that people fundamentally are evil, have evilness in their heart, or are people fundamentally good? And there's a bunch of fairly educated Christians who who took the majority and said that people were fundamentally good. We just don't understand the darkness. Today's will help us a little bit with that. So, so helping us understand where we came from, and number two, understanding the plight of man is really helpful when we look at darkness. So it's a theme in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, it's a beautiful theme. It's a helpful theme. And I just pray that God will use it in our hearts, that we would be able to grow. And I might also say this too. I've been talking to... A number of us have been in discussions about God building love in our hearts for other people. I think the concept of darkness, and then number two, the concepts of the new king, I think that if we, if we deal with that and think about it, and if the Lord deepens our understanding of that, as we understand the darkness from which he has pulled us, you will grow in love. Because he who has been forgiven little loves little, and he who has been forgiven lo- a lot loves a lot. So the more we look back in history and go, my goodness, like I thought I was just hurting and lost and alone, but now I understand it so much more. The more you actually are dealing with that, the more it's going to transfer into a genuine love for people. Because if you understand and send yourself greatly forgiven, then you have are enabled to be drawn to love much. So I hope these things 
are helpful. I brought, um, and I just want to go, I just want to go down and explain biblically more the concepts of darkness. Just some basic things that we see of darkness, if it might be of help to you today. So here's a few passages that we deal with when we think through darkness. God himself has no darkness in him, and he will not accept darkness. 1 John 1, 5-6, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So look at the top part especially. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So there's none of it in God. God's not questionable. He doesn't have a percentage of it. He's absolutely pure of that. The second, all belief systems other than Christ are darkness. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He explains it saying, in general, I am the light of the world. He goes on later on to say, if you actually believe in Moses, you would believe in me. So if you believe in Judaism aside from the Messiah, you are not walking in light. The only way that we find light is we find Christ. And all other people or truth sources in the world that give something other than Christ are darkness in themselves not a blend but darkness now for us being westerners that's a hard one going i don't know because uh, i watched a couple youtube videos by that that conservative or that liberal man or woman and they just seem pretty neutral if they're neutral they're not pro jesus if you're not pro jesus you're pro darkness christ is light everything else is darkness third all all people actually are part of the darkness. All actually are part of the darkness. John 3.19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We don't want that in our na nature. We don't want that light because that light exposes the muck for what it is. And if that muck is exposed, then I have to deal with it. And I love my muck. So I want to flee from the light like a roach when the light gets flipped on. I don't want the light. That's what we are in our natural nature. He also says in Ephesians 5, 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I might just add, just, just slow that one down there, the hot words at the top. For at one time you were darkness. Not just stuck in it, not just victimized in it, but a full-on part collaborator and ally in darkness every last one of us me and your beloved grandma or name the nicest person you can think about that person is or was darkness darkness is part of their story but she's such a nice person she's a good person au contraire the woman is not a good person in her nature she is darkness according to scripture doesn't have to stay that way 2 Corinthians 6.14, same point. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness and what fellowship has light with darkness? And so we see a, a, a pretty interesting piece here that God describes us as collaborators in that darkness. The darkness is in us. We're actually a part of it. He goes on to show us that darkness cannot be separated from its ruler, Satan. So, you're under darkness. 
Um, actually, there's probably two ways the scripture would, would describe this. Number one, you are a collaborator of darkness. I've shown that. And number two, you are victimized by darkness. The God of this world has blinded eyes. The point of blindness is you don't know what you don't know. So you think you're right, but you're, but, but you're under a case of spiritual Stockholm syndrome, right? Where you are under bondage and held hostage, and now you're in love with your hostage keeper. And you don't even know it. You don't even remember where you came from. Darkness cannot be separated from its ruler, Satan. Ephesians 2.2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so you can't separate it and just say, spiritual darkness is some kind of amoral case or instance or some kind of disease over us. It is connected to the supernatural power of Satan himself. It is his tool. It is his domain. And every last person, until they're brought out, are part of Satan's domain. Even grandma. Even that super, super nice person that you think is the nicest person that's ever been nice on the earth. That person was darkness, is in the domain of darkness, is following the prince of the power of the air, the, the one who's now working, the sons of disobedience. And just to further heighten what's going on here, darkness hates the light. Okay, so as we're thinking about our nice neighbors and our friends that we love so much and, and the people that we see suffering around the world, when we try to think through their situation, these are the descriptions of their situation. These are the raw realities according to God of what's happening in their hearts and what was happening in our hearts whether we knew it or not. Darkness hates that light. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light lest his works should be exposed. Darkness is at war with the light. For we do not wrestle with against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So not only does Satan, not only is he the prince of darkness, but he's got generals and lieutenants and, and forces that work underneath him. It's a whole system. It's a whole system. It's not just simply some habits you've got to conquer, right? We were a part of this, and everyone who does not know Jesus still is a part of this. They're held hostage by spiritual forces. But now, we not only acknowledge darkness, but we expose it. So if you've been brought to the light, there's a new perspective towards it. And honestly, I, honestly, I had to pare down these passages on darkness so much. There are gazillions of them in, in Scripture. So I, I'm sorry, these are many be disconnected, but I just had a hard time picking a handful of the winners. They're so rich in here. Listen to this. So not only now we do not, not only acknowledge darkness, but we expose it. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather instead expose them. Expose them. So no longer become indifferent to them and do not allow them to be called neutral and commonplace gray. Expose them for being darkness. Now, how you do that and the words in which you do that and the timing in which you expose them to darkness, the Spirit of God's going to have to lead us into that. But number one, you've got to know their darkness. You've got to know they're on the opposite team. You've got to know it's at war with the light. And God says, we don't accept them. We reject them. And our role is to expose them because you can't bring light until darkness is found. That's why Christ, when he says, I'm the light of the world, is talking about the darkness. And people say, how dare you say I'm dark? I'm, you're saying I'm a dark Gentile. You're saying I'm a dark Jew. And he goes, I am saying you're dark. And they killed him. So we even hear this during Christmas season, right? Um, these beautiful, these things you'll be hearing coming through sermons and songs. 
Darkness was there spoken about in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And, and later on in chapter 60. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and the thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will rise on you and his glory will be seen upon you. So Old Testament, New Testament, darkness is our world's condition. Darkness is your condition unless you have been saved by Jesus. If you've been saved by Jesus in that one moment, a new thing has become true of you. You've been brought into a kingdom of light. But until that moment, you are under the bondage of darkness. You are a collaborator of darkness. So we need to know that to be true of us. And we're two things. When we are a collaborator, we're guilty of it. But number two, you're held hostage and you don't even know it. You think you're right. And Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth, says you're wrong. But Jesus himself came to open the eyes of the blind. But you have to trust him. You have to trust him. Trust him instead of trusting yourself. Trust him instead of trusting whoever you happen to listen to on YouTube or wherever you're reading or whatever comes into your life. We're going to trust him rather than trusting those things of the world. And so we see darkness is a rich topic in Scripture. We're called to flee from it, see for what it really is. When we think through what is the real plight of the situation of our friends, they're not neutral towards the Lord. They're, I, I know they're nice and they made you cookies for Thanksgiving and they invited you over and they're friends of yours and mine. But what's the situation in their heart? The situation in their heart, it's a, it's a fight against darkness. This is what they're stuck in. And this is what Jesus delights in freeing people from. But we can't allow ourselves to backtrack on darkness and think darkness is just not that dark because darkness is that dark. Darkness is a very wicked, anti-God, utterly devastating issue and the cause of the curse that this world sits under. And each person is both a guilty ally and a victim under bondage and blindness. It's our common plight and the love and approval that we must be liberated from and it can't be coddled, excused, or adapted, or justified. So brothers and sisters, if you're struggling to love, think about the darkness that the Father pulled you out of. Look how bad off you had it. You couldn't even tell how bad off it was. But there in that spot, God has forgiven you for being a collaborator, rescued you and your helplessness out of it, of being anti-him, even though those words may never have came out of your mouth. Explore the depths of the love of God and his forgiveness of you. And do the same thing for your brothers and sisters who will sin against you this week because their sins are forgiven as well. We never forget the darkness we came from. It's a story of supreme honor to Christ, life-giving freedom to us, and a strong mix and hope of hope and warning to the dark world. Um, and for me, it's really liberating sharing the gospel because I believe it to be true of me. So I can talk to anybody about anything because I came out of darkness. Um, anything good in me comes from Jesus. So I can talk to anybody about anything because that's all I brought to the table and I find great liberation in it. Our second piece is this. We are now part of the beloved son's kingdom. In verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Transferred being a good word and a little bit better than what the NIV has delivered because it's talking about we now stand in a new spot. Is a citizenship shift. We've been pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and we've been placed into the kingdom of light where we belong. We're not immigrants there in a refugee camp like we don't belong. You belong now in this kingdom of light. And the way he describes it is the kingdom of his beloved son. And this is one of those things where we often find we don't understand what salvation is. We often think, okay, he's going to release us from some kind of darkness, right? A big case of owie 
all my pains, all my hurts, all my guilt is going to release us. And we kind of think of Jesus as some gigantic uh, PETA activist who comes to us in our cages, a bunch of boxed up animals, and he cuts the locks off, and he opens the door and says, get out of there, little animal. And he just releases us off to feral freedom so we can just run across the neighborhoods and forest. And it's all just release. But that's not the story of the gospel. He doesn't simply release you out of darkness. He transfers you into something so sweet. He takes you home. He takes you home into his family, into his love, into his care, into his kingship. Here, transfers us into the kingship of his. So Christ is a king with rules and truth. And he's the ultimate king. He actually defines what is true. He knows what is true. He is what is true and what is good. And so those things pour out of him as the king want that but they do pour out of him you may not want it but it doesn't change the fact that it is true of him so his kingship he rules with truth and rules with goodness and it's a beautiful and wonderful thing to be there and the father is quite excited about it how do we know that because the end of the verse says transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved son or literally the son of his love that king jesus is the one that the Father deeply loves. It's funny how we can read these things sometime and kind of lose the big picture. This whole passage here is talking about how stinking good it is to be under the Father's love. Look at all the Father does for us. Look at the fact that he's lifted us out of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom's love, and, and, and that is so good to be there. And that kingdom is so good that the Father describes that kingdom as the, son, the kingdom of the Son whom I deeply love. And so if the father is excited about the kingship of this son, you can be excited about the kingship of this son. You can be excited that Jesus makes no errors. He makes no mistakes. He has no darkness in him. He has no lack of love. He has no lack of compassion. He has no lack of wisdom, no, no gap in his timing. Jesus is really the good and perfect king, and the father delights in him. Is there anyone else, some other place, that you think that you'd want to be under their leadership than the one that the father delights in, the one the father finds loving the one that he pours his love out into. He says it a couple ways in John 17. Um, he tells us that for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. He says, the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. So Jesus acknowledges again, the Father has deeply loved me. And the same way that the Father loves me, the Father loves you. John 17. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me that you, Father, have loved them even as you love me. So the Father's pointing to the kingdom of the Son as being a fantastic, wonderful place. To be under the, the rule and guidance and provision and care of Jesus, a king so good that the Father deeply loves him. And that not only do you have the love of the Son, who is excellent there, you have the love of the Father. So the Father and the Son are pouring out their love for you in that kingdom position. So no, you're not let go out of a cage to be feral pigs running through the dark, still darkness in your heart, though you're out of some kind of penalty cage. You're transformed and brought into his home and loved there. Our final piece is this. Christ liberated us through sin handling. I know it's kind of a weird word, but I just want to get under your skin for a moment. He liberates us by sin handling. So verse 13 and 14, if you could take a look there again, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So his beloved son is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I learned something this week. 
I just thought I'd share it with you guys. It's kind of like a refining point, your Bible study pieces there. Um, when I hear redemption, I hear a financial or fiscal transaction, a buyback. That's what I hear when I hear redemption. English, when we have a redemption value. I would tell you, as I learned this week here, uh, this term in the New Testament is used 10 times, um, and it never actually carries a fiscal or a buyback value. Um, I actually had to change all my notes from this point on because I had kind of imported that into the text. Sometimes we do that. We read, read the English words in some ways and badly import those back into Greek. We, said, we talked about that with the concept of hope. This is another one like that. He redeemed us. Really, the word redemption here is, it can be freely translated as delivered, freed, um, not so much bias out, bias back. He's freeing us, liberating us, releasing us. So, in Christ, verse 14, we have release, redemption, freedom. And that happens through a process, which is the end of the sentence, the forgiveness of sins, the handling of sins. So, the only way that the Father can remove us out of darkness and place us into the kingdom of his Son is through that Son not only being the king, but also the transitioner, the one who would move us, and the way he did that is by handling sin. Handling sin. So as we've talked about Ephesians a lot being the cousin letter of this, it says this in a very unique way in verse chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption, same word, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So the way that he forgives our sin, the way he handles our sin is blood. His blood, dying on the cross. In fact, the whole Testament built around all these sacrifices, right? It was all a setup to the fact that sin had a price, had a penalty, and that penalty was death. It was all a setup so that we would see someday that Jesus would come and he would be the true payer of that penalty. So Jesus, in the shedding of his blood, brings a real and tangible solution to everyone of your sins and everyone of my sins in Jesus Christ. So all those sins we've committed, made with our own hearts and hands and mouths, those sins stand. So not only sin, the general disposition against God, but the sins, the actual individual moments. Bing, 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 bing. Gazillions of them. In me alone, not to mention you or your grandma. So we have all of these sins that are just piled up in our life, and every last one of those sins has to be dealt with. And for God not to deal with those makes him to abdic means he's abdicating from being good and just. So if we are somehow to escape being completely ruined by uh, ruined as God carries out justice on each of our sins and on us as the author of those sins, we need somehow for those sins to be truly processed. So this is why forgiveness of sins exists. This is why the forgiveness of sins enables the Father with righteous judgment to extract us out of darkness, place us into the kingdom of His Son. The blood, Christ being killed on the cross, was actual judicial payment for sins. And that moment on the cross, Christ paid the penalty for every sin of everyone who would ever rest on him as their savior in order to have them as their king. He says this in John 12, 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So I don't know if you're online watching this, you're in the room listening to this. I don't know who you are. I don't know hearts this morning, but I believe there are firmly some people listening this morning we're living in darkness, and Jesus says, you are in darkness. And you know it, and you don't know it. It's a part of it you know, and it's a part of it you don't even know. He's offering 
to speak truth to you so you don't have to remain in darkness. It's a beautiful and kind uh, offer he's given you. Listen to these words in Acts 26, 18. I'll turn this a little bit personal. To turn from darkness to light, to turn from the power of Satan to God, that you may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. Psalm 2. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in Him. Don't take refuge in darkness. Flee the darkness. It's closing in on you, and Jesus is coming after darkness. The light will crush the darkness. So kiss the Son. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. Uh, Christian, what is true of your sin? Like, are, are, you, are you tangling with these things in terms of the gospel? Do, do you know that God has said, I have brought you out of darkness, and let's remember what that is, into glorious light into the kingdom of Jesus, and you are secure there under the kingship of Jesus. And how did that get done? That got done through the blood of Jesus. Um, some of us were talking this week, and we are talking through like, okay, whose child are you? Answer, I'm God's child. How'd you get that way? By the blood of Jesus, the cross of Jesus, what Jesus did. That is our answer. The offer is that we are brought near to God. The payment is through the blood of Jesus Christ. So Christian, what is true of your sin? Is it there and is it forgiven or is it not? Because you're going to face it uh, by the end of lunchtime. I just, I can guarantee it. You're going you're gonna to screw it up by the time end of lunchtime. So what is true of that? Is that really sin? And what is true of that sin? Is it really forgiven or is it not forgiven? If you don't know Jesus, it's not forgiven. If you do know Jesus, Jesus says, child, that, son, that, that sin is forgiven. You sit under my love. You sit secured. Confess it to me. I have, I have forgiven your sins. What about a fellowship? Do you openly talk about your forgiver and what he forgave? Or do you hide it? Uh, parents, do your kids know the darkness from which he's extracted you from. Of course, there's chapters in that darkness that you can't tell them of certain ages and those kind of things. But let them know the story. They don't need you as the hero. They need Christ as the hero, the great forgiver. So wear it. Tell them who you are. Tell them about the darkness that you were brought out of so that your story aligns with the true one. And they see the truth between Scripture and your life. Do you listen to him as he reminds you in the gospel that those sins are truly forgiven and that you now reside in the kingdom of the Son of His love. Christ has proudly accomplished the forgiveness of sins, and with that, He secured our transfer under His loving leadership and care. The salvation of God is far more extreme than we first thought. The darkness we were rescued from and the goodness of life under Jesus' loving kingship are both far more significant than we first ever understood them to be. The depths of darkness and the heights of light make us appreciate and understand more of why only the blood of Christ could ever save us, and it did so powerfully. So uh, would you guys just bow your heads with me for a moment, and I'm just going to ask the Lord to bless us. Jesus, you said these things. You've invited us to turn from light, from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. Brothers and sisters, do you agree that there is darkness and light? Do you agree that Christ took you out of darkness? Do you agree that he put you in light? Thank him for it. And then number two, thank him for how that got done. Did that ever get done by any of your works? It didn't. 
It was only done by the precious blood of Christ. And by the blood of Christ, your sins were forgiven. So thank him for that. If you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus, please heed his words. Remember that he came to bring you from darkness to light and from Satan's power to God, that you may receive forgiveness of sin. So come to him as the light of the world. Believe in him that you may be saved. Um, if we can help you think this through or talk about it or pray about it, we're here after the service. Father, please be with us. Um, we are so thankful for you opening our eyes to the history of just how horribly off we were, how amazing your rescue was of us, and then on the opposite side, just how astoundingly good your blessing is of us being under your kingship and being under your love. So thank you for opening our eyes to the extremities of this, the depth of the depths you saved us from, and then the heights of the wonders you save us to, and then showing us the blood of Jesus that is clearly the only thing that ever could transfer us from death to life, to transfer us from darkness to light. So we thank you, Jesus, for that. Father, we thank you for all the things you bless us with in Christ. We are forever grateful and pray that you continue to open our eyes, as Paul has said, that we might really apprehend these things and love them and delight in them and to move our hearts to deep thanksgiving and praise. And all my brothers and sisters said, amen.